female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who's within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that's in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And then in the book of Hebrews, uh, in the New Testament, uh, page 1002. We don't know who wrote Hebrews, other than God, ultimately. Uh, But in the book of Hebrews, we're going to read from uh, a section in uh, chapter 3, beginning at verse 16, where, where the writer is saying, look, you... Uh, You're travelling home towards heaven, a bit like the Israelites were travelling to the promised land. And he gives a bit of a warning, a warning and an encouragement. Verse 16, Hebrews 3.16. For who were those, those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt, led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us, just as to them, but the message they heard didn't benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day. Today, saying through David, so long afterwards, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no hidden creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The Ten Commandments. If you're... Uh, new to Christianity or new to church, a warm welcome, and already your heart may be sinking. Here we go. Here's a bunch of rules. Uh, this is just what I feared. Christians telling me what to do. God in the Bible telling me what to do. Uh, maybe you're actually a Christian. And uh, again, the idea of going back to the commandments. We've just had four weeks on the character of Jesus, that the welcome that he gives to all who come to him, that the love of God for us, even when we have no love for him, no interest in him. And now, commandments. And so I want to set us off on the right track or give us the right kind of attitude towards these commandments. 
Uh, remember, as we said many weeks ago when we started looking at them, remember, these commandments aren't obey them and I might save you. Okay, as Matt helpfully pointed out earlier in the service from the uh, Psalm 15, none of us have ever kept the Ten Commandments. There is, I don't know the name of everyone in this room by any means. I know there is not a single one of you who has kept the Ten Commandments. Or me. These are not rules we keep to go to heaven. Rules we keep to make God sufficiently happy with us uh, that have let us in. Uh, rather, these were rules, commandments, words given to God's people after he'd rescued them. Remember, the Ten Commandments were given to the people of Israel after God had got them out of Egypt, out of slavery. And so these commandments were, hey, I've rescued you, now live like this. In other words, the commandments are for a free people, not a slave people. They're for a people who are free from the yoke of slavery. People who are free to live as God intended. That's why, by the way, in the New Testament, you'll see on a number of occasions that as, as New Testament writers look back at the old, that they talk about the law as if it's freeing. So so James, Jesus' half-brother, in James 2, calls the law the law of freedom. Ah, Ten Commandments, so freeing. The Sabbath commandment, ah, there's freedom, says James. But when one John, John, Jesus' disciple, 1 John 5, John calls them, um, or or rather comments, that God's commandments aren't burdensome. You want want the load off your back? You want to be able to just walk out into the world? Ah, free. Commandments, says John, that's a way. Okay, they're not burdensome. So, so the Ten Commandments, if you're a Christian, if you've come to Jesus, you've been forgiven your sin, the Ten Commandments, you, you're, you're meant to hear them as rules, certainly. But the rules in the same way as you might say to a fish, you must stay in the ocean. You are not allowed on the beach. Now, any sensible fish, children, who hears that rule, isn't going to say, huh, It'd be so much better if I could get out of the ocean and flap about on the beach. No, the ocean is the environment he's created to be free in. Think about games. Games you might play, whether a sport or a game of Monopoly or something like that. When do games work best? You're playing a game of um, cricket. When does it work best? Does it work best when, hey, everyone just sort of plays as they like? You, know, you throw the ball, uh, I'm going to pick it up and run away with it. Because okay, that's just how I like to play cricket. Well, no, it works best when everyone plays by the rules that God has, sorry, God has set. God has set the rules of cricket and we were... <laughs> that was a slip. Um, possibly betray something about my approach to cricket. Um, there's a real tendency, isn't there, to think rules are killing bad and we should all just do what we think is right. There's a, 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 a philosopher called Roger Scruton. Um, and he, he just he talks about dancing. He just comments on dancing. He says, isn't it, isn't it interesting? If you, if you look at the, the, the sort of 21st century approach to dancing. Okay, if you, you know, uh, Jake and Tasha's wedding yesterday, disco or whatever. How do people dance? Okay, what, what are they, I'm not going to show you. Uh, <laughs> how, how do they dance? Okay, they just do, you know, I can't stand it. <laughs> You just sort of do whatever you want, don't you? You know, you kind of go for it. Um, how did people dance? You know, my kids were watching um, 
the DVD of Pride and Prejudice the other day, you know, Mr. Darcy and Elizabeth and whoever else. How do they dance in the old days? There's a, there's a pattern, isn't it? Everyone knows the steps. We all do this, then this, then this, and we go around. And, and it's just expressive of the culture of the age. Okay, until relatively recently, last century, dancing was formal. There were steps, whether it was kind of country dancing or the more formal dancing or whatever. It was ordered. This is how we do it. These are, nowadays, it's kind of, ooh, you know, do what you want. There's a little taste of last night. <laughs> so here we go. Uh, the commandments. The fourth commandment in particular, I think, is the one that often makes Christians' hearts just sink a little bit. Okay. You got my notebook. Come on then, minister. You, you give me the list of things I'm not allowed to do. Uh, come, come Sunday. But that would be the wrong approach. This is a freeing commandment. So I want to look, um, first of all, at the picture of the Sabbath. Before we start getting to you know, the practice and, and how we should live. Let's look at the picture of the Sabbath. What is going on here? Uh, Exodus 20 and verse 8. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Six days you shall labour. Why? Well, it's patterned on God's way of, of working, wasn't it? Verse 11, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, all that's in them, and rested on the seventh day. If if we read Genesis 1, we'd see the pattern of creation. Six days work, and then we read on the seventh day God rested from his works, his, his, his making. The seventh day is different. And the seventh day is the rest day. And, and Sabbath literally means ceasing. Okay, it's, it's, the, it's the word, the Hebrew word for stopping, for ceasing. It's the stop day, if you like. Now, in English, most of our days of the week are named after um, Norse gods and things, aren't they? You know, Thor and Freya and all this sort of stuff. But, but the Sabbath is, is, is stop day, cease day. Uh, the seventh day of the week in the Old Testament. And look what God does with it. At verse 11, it's there. He's more or less quoting from, from Genesis 2. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day. And made it holy. So on this stop day, this cease day, God blessed it. Now if we were to go back and read Genesis 1, we'd see that a number of times during the creation account, God blesses things. So he blesses um, the, the animals and the birds. And all that they might go out and multiply you know, more birds. He blesses man and woman. Be fruitful and multiply. And then he blesses a day. (laughs) How do you bless a day? What does it mean for a day to be blessed? The the picture is, this is is meant to be a day of life. I bless man and woman in order that they might multiply. I bless the birds and the beasts of the field. I may go out and life may spring forth. And here is a particular day of blessing, of life, of enjoyment, a particular day of my favour, if you like, to sit under God's favour, as under his blessing, sorry, is to, is to, to sit under his favour. That's why we often finish the service with the, the, the benediction, the blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you. This day in Genesis is, is, is his special, blessed, life-giving day. And it's also holy. Okay, it's a stop day, a rest day, a Sabbath it's a blessed day, but it's also, verse 11, holy. Again, it's how can a day be holy? I understand how a person can be holy. You know, I'm not going to sin, I'm going to be holy. But that's not quite the, what the word holy means. To be holy is, first of all, to be dedicated to God in a special way. To set aside for God's use. So children, do you remember the, the tent that 
God made in the Old Testament. We'll read about it a bit later in, in, in Exodus, in fact. Um, it was called the tabernacle. And there were certain things that were put in the, in the, in the, in the tabernacle, certain bits of furniture. Um, so it was a, a table and a candlestick and some bread. Now, think about the bread. The bread was just normal bread. You bake bread. It wasn't sort of special bread made of different flour. It was normal bread. But when it was put into God's house, the tabernacle, from then on it was holy bread. Because it was set aside for his use, given over to him, his special bread, if you like. Of course, you can say, all the bread in the world is God's. Well, that's true. But this was special holy bread, set aside, given to his house. Well, well, so too, uh, with this day, sometimes people say, well, you know, I don't need to worry about Sabbath day, because for me, all days are God's days. Again, it sounds yeah, very good, very holy. <laughs> but that's not really the point. Of course, all days are God's days. You know, all people are God's people. Does that mean there isn't a holy people? No, of course not. You know, I, I um, uh, every supper I eat is for the Lord, so I have the Lord's supper every day. Well, no, that's not how it works. The Lord's supper is a special thing. So this day in Genesis is a special set aside towards God day, a, a day of blessing, but also a day kind of pointed towards Him, specially given to Him. And that, that, those blessing and holy words help us see what, what the rest is all about. When God makes, children, when God has finished making the world after six days, do you think he's exhausted? He's like, oh, you know, I've done the sun, I've done the stars, I've done the moon, I've done the oceans, oh, man, the elephants took ages. I just need to collapse. No, of course not. Of course not. He's not, he's not tired or burnt out or no he doesn't just need to crash out God doesn't go to sleep rather the, 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 he, he makes this wonderful world no sin at this stage wonderful world and then says ah, let's enjoy it the seventh day this is the blessed day to enjoy it the holy day this is the day of fruitfulness finally all my work is finished let's enjoy it this lush world and Adam is there to, to, to enjoy it too like, Smell, smell the garden, Adam. Get okay, the lushness, taste the fruit, enjoy it. Can you hear the different birds, the different bird calls, Adam? Look at the way that life is teeming. And I'm here as your friend, your, your maker. I'm the God of the universe, but I'm going to be your friend, Adam. Enjoy. This day is for you. And interestingly, in Genesis, again, if we were to turn back to it, We'd see that the seventh day is just slightly different from the first six. All the first six days end, and there was evening and morning the first day. Evening and morning the second day. Evening morning. That never happens on the seventh day. There is no formula, and there was evening and morning the seventh day. Now, I'm sure it was a day. I'm not saying that, you know, the earth failed to rotate. and you know, what was it? I'm sure it was a normal 24-hour day. But I think kind of poetically as the text is kind of expressing it to us, or God is, it's a bit like, this is how life's meant to be. I've finished my work. And we're, the Sabbath is it's a bit like this, this, this is meant to be the, the enjoyment that goes on forever. So yes, there would have been a weekly routine, I know that. But, it, but pictorial, like, yes, this is the goal. Sabbath, rest under my blessing. That is where everything is meant to be going. That is my plan for humanity. Again, if you're new to Christianity, God's desire for human beings is that they enjoy knowing him, enjoy a wonderful world. Yes, it's been messed up. Why we need forgiveness. Yes, one day it's going to take God returning and transforming the world. 
but his desire is to bless. He is not a, a tight-fisted God. And the Sabbath was a picture of that. That's why when Jesus, God's son, comes many, many years later, he says the Sabbath was made for man. It's his wonderful gift to humanity. And that's also why, and I'm afraid we're not going to pick through all the details of it, but if you turn to the Hebrews passage, I went back to Exodus, if you, if you, if you um, are still in Exodus, go on to Hebrews 3 again. It's why Sabbath, rest, stop, stop day, becomes a, a picture of, of where we're heading. Again, we, we picked it up at, um, at verse 16. We're not going to pick through the whole passage. But, but the writer's point is that, look, that there is a rest that awaits. A rest that awaits. That the promised land for the Israelites in the Old Testament days is pictured as a land of rest. And so verse 18 of chapter 3. To whom did he swear they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient, who were unbelieving. A whole bunch of people never entered the promised land, the land of rest. They were heading towards rest, you see. The Old Testament sort of Exodus story is heading towards rest, or was meant to be. And, and, and the writer moves from the, the picture of Israel heading towards the rest of the promised land that was meant to be this wonderful land full of milk and honey and everyone sits under their own fig tree and has their own vine and moves from there and says, look, likewise, we are heading as Christians towards a rest. One day we'll get there. 4 verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands... Keep believing. They don't give up believing. Now, don't be like the Israelites, who, some of whom just failed to trust God, failed to believe the gospel. Because you want to get home to that heavenly rest. Verse 8 of chapter 4. And now he's talking about Joshua who brings them into the land. So we've moved on a little bit in the story. And the author wants to say, look, that wasn't it. It wasn't all just about that picture of rest in Canaan. Verse 8, if Joshua had given them rest, Joshua, the guy who took over from Moses and led them into land, God wouldn't have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. There's still a rest to come. It wasn't just the land of Israel. In fact, the whole book of Hebrews is about how we shouldn't get so obsessed with the Old Testament pictures. We think that's all it was about. You know, you'd be mad to go back to the Old Testament sacrifices, he'll say a bit later, when now Jesus has been a sacrifice for you. You'd be mad to go back to the Old Testament priests. Now we've got Jesus as a high priest. And you'd be mad to think that the land of Israel and the rest in that physical land in the Middle East was all it was about. No, there remains a rest. If Joshua had, had, had brought them into that rest, then God wouldn't have kept speaking about the rest. And throughout the passage, God has... The author of Hebrews is quoted um, from, from Psalms that, that encourage people to enter the rest, even though they're written to people who are already in Israel. There's a rest to come. There's a rest to come. That's the theme of chapter three and four. And so in verse nine, when, when the, the author says there remains a Sabbath rest, he doesn't mean a Sabbath day. Okay, that's not what he's talking about. He's not saying there, there's still one day a week you need to rest on. I'm going to come back to that. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying... That we are all heading forward towards that great day when God renews the earth and we get back, as it were, to Genesis 2 again. In paradise, all at rest. Until you get there, 
Christ returns, you die, whichever comes first. Until you get there, essentially you're still at work. Okay? It is hard work. The kind of works we're called to in Hebrews aren't that earn your salvation works, obviously. We're never told to earn our salvation. It's a free gift. But we never rest until we die or Christ returns. So in verse 10, whoever's entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his. That, that isn't a resting from my, I'm going to try and save myself works, uh, because God never tells you to try and save yourself. Uh, rather, it's, I'm home. I'm home. I'm in paradise. Or God has returned and renewed the earth. So there remains, which is good news, there remains a, a great Sabbath in the future, that that seventh-day beautiful picture that was painted in Genesis, it will still happen, says the author of Hebrews. Don't worry. I know Adam ruined it. I know the world is a total mess. I know you're all exhausted. I know you're buried by your sin. I know it looks like stuff is never going to get better, but it will. It will. Keep trusting Jesus, and he will get you there. And he'll get you to this paradise rest, this eternal state of being blessed, holy, in God's presence. That is your future, Christian, this morning. However exhausted you are, however downcast you are, however burdened by your sin, that is where he is taking you. That is the picture of the Sabbath. But, but the picture becomes a, sab- a pattern. Yeah, that's the picture. It does become a pattern. That six plus one pattern doesn't go away. There is a reason why God decided to make the world in six days and then rest on one. What was the reason? Was it, well, you know, just too much to do. I can't possibly make mountains and oceans and fish and gophers and snakes and trees and all human beings all on the same day. I I, I haven't got, no, of course not. If if God had wanted to, uh, three, two, one, boom, and it's all there. Okay, he could have done it in a second, but he doesn't. He does an ordered six days. Why? To set the pattern. That's what we get in Exodus. Just as God worked six days, rested one, so too you, Israelites. And so the, the, the Sabbath doesn't originate at Mount Sinai with, with the Ten Commandments. Sometimes people say, oh, it's, it's a sort of Exodus thing, isn't it? It's, a, it's an Israel thing. It's a, but no, it's there in creation. It's there in Genesis 1 and 2. In that sense, it's like marriage or work. There are these things that are woven into the nature of reality, the nature of creation. So sometimes people say, well, if you read Genesis Genesis 2, Adam isn't commanded to observe the Sabbath. Yes, we read about it, the seventh day is the day of rest and blessing, but Adam isn't told to keep it. But, but that's a bit like saying, we read Genesis 2, that Adam and Eve marry, one man and one woman. But there's no command they've got to stay faithful to one another. Because there isn't. There's no command that Adam isn't allowed to go and marry someone else. Because there isn't. There's no command that anyone else has to follow that, that, that pattern. Why can't we just marry someone of the same gender? Or, you know, because there's no commands. Well, no, there are no commands. But the whole point of these patterns is they are foundational and meant to be copied. My, my impression is that... that that, that as, a, as churches, we're very good at defending marriage because we get all hyped up about it rightly when it gets corrupted by the world. No, the pattern is there. You must follow the pattern. It's there in Genesis 2, and Jesus appeals to the pattern. And then he comes to the Sabbath, and oh, no, 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 it's just a, you know, it's just a, just a picture, whatever. 
No, the Sabbath is there before the commandments are given. It's not just for the Moses era, if you like. Now, that's why the commanders remember the Sabbath day. Now, if the Israelites have never heard of the Sabbath, if this is something totally new, you can't say remember it, can you? If, I, if I'd come in this morning um, and just, just said to you, you know, remember, remember what Phil Evans did yesterday. What, what did Phil Evans do? How can I remember it? I don't know what it is. You know, what, what are you talking about? I've got no idea. What are you talking about? Who's Phil Evans? What did he do yesterday? I can't remember something I never knew about in the first place. Also, the, the, remember the Sabbath day. It's, it's remember the day that I gave you since the beginning of time. And if we had time, we could look at Exodus 16, which comes before the commandments. The commandments come in Exodus 20. Exodus 16 is the story of the manna in the desert. You know, God gives them the manna on the seventh day. They're not meant to collect the manna. And there we read about the Sabbath. It's already in place before the law is given. In other words, this Sabbath command is part of what's sometimes known as the moral law, just the way human beings are meant to live. No killing, no adultery, no other gods, honour your father and mother, no stealing. Ten commandments kind of summarise it. And just because we don't read a command in Genesis not to murder, it doesn't mean it was okay for Adam to murder. Just because we don't read a command in Genesis, do not steal, doesn't mean it was okay for Abraham to steal. These things are woven into the pattern. And so that six plus one pattern remains. And it only remains to this day. There is a nudge in the pattern, a shift. Because we now live in the new covenant, not the Mosaic covenant, not the covenant formed at Sinai, but the covenant formed um, in the New Testament by Christ. We receive, therefore, this day, not from the hand of Moses, but from the hand of Jesus. Check this out over here. Um, Jesus came, of course, to bring this final rest. It is Jesus' work that makes it possible for us to enter that the heavenly rest. Um, he came to work hard in order that we might rest. He came to do all the stuff we were meant to do in order that as a gift, he might give us eternal life. And obviously the climax of his work was the cross. The heart of understanding what Jesus came to do is found at the cross. There he takes our sin on his shoulders. There he dies instead of us. There he atones for each and every one of our sin. Every last drop, every stain is atoned for at the cross. And what does he say as he dies? It is finished. I've done it all. That is the good news of the gospel, by the way, for you this morning. There is no work for you to do to get into heaven. If, again, if, you, if, you're, if you're trying to work out whether Christianity is, or what's it all about, then don't hear the word da, do, but done. Don't hear, you must do this and maybe I'll let you in, but hear done. God so loves you that he sent his son to die so that he has finished the work and he can just give it to you. If you're a Christian, you're burdened. I'm not a good Christian. I'm not a successful Christian. I'm not a faithful Christian. I'm not. It's done. Your job is to rest in the done, the it is finished of Jesus. That's what Hebrews is urging you to do. Rest in him, stay in him. He has finished the work for you. And so Jesus dies on Friday night as, in, as the Sabbath begins, the Jewish Sabbath begins. Remember the pattern is there's evening and morning. So the Jewish understanding, the day starts at, at the night before. Okay, it runs through that way. We go morning to night, don't we? But in the Bible, it's the other way around. Jesus dies on, on, on Friday night, going into the Sabbath. The Sabbath begins. It is finished. He finishes his work. It's as if he takes the Sabbath, the Jewish Sabbath, into the ground. He rests on the Sabbath day, the Saturday. He's in the grave, in the tomb. 
And then on the Sunday morning, the first day of the week, he comes out, rises again, brings in this whole new world. He is the first fruits of the new creation, the first fruits of the new Sabbath, rest that will one day come when he returns. And that is why the, the, the day that we celebrate as Christians shifts from the, the Saturday to the Sunday, to use our language, seventh day to the first day of the week. Uh, we no longer need to celebrate that seventh day. There are some churches that will cling very strongly um, to it's got to be the seventh day and seventh day Adventist and this sort of thing. But I think that's a misunderstanding. They're, they're brothers. It's not a first order issue, obviously. But I think that is a misunderstanding. It is no longer the seventh day, but the first day. And that's why you'll read in books like Colossians, you know, we no longer uh, should follow kind of a, a, a new moon or a Sabbath or a festival, says Paul. Okay, that, that Jewish Sabbath is gone. Now we have the Lord's Day, as it's called in the New Testament. And that is the first day of the week, Sunday, as we call it. So all Jesus, Jesus rises on a Sunday. When you read about his resurrection appearances, all the ones we read about happen on a Sunday. You can kind of work it out. He comes back every eight days, which is then another week. He appears on a Sunday. Acts 20 verse 7, as the church gathers, we read on the first day of the week when we were gathered together to break bread. 1 Corinthians 16, 2, on the first day of the week, we gathered to put aside some money. Uh, in Revelation 1, we read about the Lord's day. Okay, the, the particular day given to the Lord, very much like Genesis 2, one day given to the Lord. That was a very inconvenient day for the first century Jews, the first group of Christians. Because the whole culture says, no, rest on a Saturday. Worship on a Saturday, that is the day. So to shift it a day was massively inconvenient. It wasn't just a pragmatic decision. But it's God's choice which day is that set aside, holy, blessed day. Not ours. That's why I don't think it's actually helpful to say, well, I, I take my Sabbath on a Wednesday. It's, it's, just not, it's not up to you to choose what day it is. The Sabbath is the Sunday. At the Lord's Day. And so finally, as we wrap up, what does that mean for our practice? Okay, that The picture is there, this beautiful rest, refreshment. The pattern still remains. We work six days, rest one. What about the practice? What it means is a day for rest and worship for us too. A day for remembering and celebrating all that God has done in creating and rescuing us. It's a day when we look forward to the rest to come, the heavenly rest that awaits so it's meant to be a good day. It's a gift, not a burden. So rest on it. Stop, God says. It's a stop day. Stop whatever you normally do, whatever normal work is. It's not about whether you earn money or not. If you're a student, don't do your essays on a Sunday. Don't go to the library and be aware of your books. Stop. It's a day of rest. Got a job that don't work on a Sunday, unless I should say it's one of those jobs that kind of means where you, you know, you just got to. So all the way through the Bible, um, there are certain roles, certain jobs that obviously have to keep going on the Sabbath day, the rest day. Works of um, of of love, okay, of generosity. So you know, we don't all want all the doctors walking out of the hospitals on Sunday, okay, or, this, or all the firemen going, well, I, I can't do Sunday, sorry, I'll, I'll put it out on a Monday. Or, now, I'm not going to give you a list of what's okay and what isn't, because that's just not my job. But, okay, there are some jobs that have to keep going. But on the whole, it is a day of resting for you, for your servants. Okay, have you got servants? 
don't make them work on a Sunday. Okay, men, men servant, women servant, any of your servants don't make them work on a Sunday. What are you saying? I've got any servants. Fair enough, neither have I. But don't make other people work on a Sunday, is the point. Um, don't make the staff of Starbucks work on a Sunday. Don't, don't force other people to work by your practice. Don't make the, the shop assistants work on a Sunday or you can fill in the rest of it. Now, one of my, Matthew Roberts, who's a minister over in New York, I heard him teach about the Sabbath once. He said this, the, the strictness of it is part of its beauty. We hear, oh, great, now I can't go to Starbucks on a Sunday. But he's right, the strictness is the beauty of it. In other words, you're being told to totally rest. You don't have to, you have to do anything on a Sunday. You don't have to do the hoovering. Stop, it's right. Do it on Monday. You've got six days. By the way, actually, a lot of us only work five days a week. So we've got even, yeah, we've got a whole spare day as well. It's six days. Six days to work, but you can just do, do nothing on the Sunday. No, no, don't do any of your work. It's brilliant. Um, children, imagine you were told that, you know, one day soon you're going to go to a, a theme park, okay, out like Disney World. You're going to go to Disney World one day. But it's going to be quite a long time away, many years in the future. Uh, when we go there, it's going to be amazing. By the, this is not true, children. It's my own children. Um, it's going to be amazing. Okay? You can eat what you like. If you want to eat chocolate and ice cream all the time, go for it. Okay? You can, you can um, you wear your Disney dresses and costumes or whatever. Um, go on whatever, whatever rides you want. It's going to be wonderful. But I'm worried you're going to forget about it. And so what we're going to do is once a week, we're going to stop. I want you to stop doing your homeworks. No more mass homework, I'm afraid. You've got to stop it. It's a command. It's a rule. No more chores. I don't want you hoovering. Children, you've got to stop dusting. Okay, break from it. Stop it. No tidying your room. Stop it. Stop cleaning daddy's car. Stop. And I want to give you this time to, to get a little taste of what, how great it's going to be when you arrive at Disneyland. Okay? So I'm going to... No more cleaning. No more maths homework. Eat some ice cream. There's a command. Watch a Disney movie, dress up, whatever it may be. That wouldn't feel burdensome, would it? But that is the kind of tone of the Sabbath commands. It's a good thing to rest. Now, rest is twinned with, it's not, remember, it's not a kind of, ah, oh, right, brilliant, I'm just going to get to sleep all day Sunday and then I'm, I'm keeping the Sabbath. Stuff church, stuff anyone else, I'm just going to sleep. No, that's not the point. The ceasing from work is in order that we might, yes, enjoy the rest, but also, remember, it's a day dedicated to the Lord, blessed, a holy day. That is a blessed day. So it's the day for worship. It was always the day of worship, the Sabbath day. We haven't got time to look at the, the, the Old Testament references. It's always there. Use the day to be at church. You need to be at church every week. Every week. Go on holiday? Great. Go to church somewhere else. But you need to be at church every week, not when you fancy it. That is what the day is for. Okay, but if you've got a sort of normalist job and you're not a doctor, a nurse, a fireman or whatever, um, you're not working, brilliant, you can go to church. Uh, many people you know, will say, oh, I'm just so busy, I haven't got time to read, oh, I wish I read my bar more often, or I wish I prayed more. You've got a whole day a week, we don't have to do anything. No housework, no essays, no, got a whole day for it. A day to enjoy A day to care 
about our relationship with God, to, to, to look up to heaven and see him smiling at us as, as we were reminded, it is finished. A day to prioritise his people. The rest and the worship go together. So there's an old English minister called Richard Baxter. He said, I'm more concerned by what a man does do on the Sabbath and than what he doesn't. Yeah, I'm not interested in giving a big load of rules about what exactly, you know, am I allowed to play football? Am I allowed to? No, it's not my job. What do you do with it, this gift of a day? Don't spend it asleep. Or don't just spend it asleep. Spend it enjoying the blessing of God, tasting a little bit of what is to come. Prioritising God's people. A delightful day, holy to the Lord. So, very simple question to finish. Will you trust him enough to rest each week? To stop? We think, oh, it wouldn't work. If I don't do the housework, the whole thing's going to fall apart on a Sunday. That's not true. The whole world has worked fine without you. Totally won't fall apart if you don't, don't bake on a Sunday or whatever. I'll never pass my degree if I don't study on a Sunday. It's not true. <laughs> it's not true. You might need to work hard on the other six days, possibly, depending on how you're doing at the moment. But, but God hasn't designed the world to be a great big trap so that if you, if you give him the day that he's asked you to give to him, it, it's going to ruin everything else. No, it's a day of blessing. Will you trust him enough to stop? He has everything in his hands. And one day, just one day, is holy to him, blessed to him. And a gift to you to taste of what's to come. And so the more you rest, the more you use it for, for worship, for gathering with the people formally like this or informally throughout the day, the more you're getting strength and a little more of a taste, more hunger for the great Sabbath that is to come, that great day when he returns. And finally, all the resting uh, will arrive, all the striving will be over, and it'll be glory and peace forever. Let me pray. Our Father in heaven, we, we praise you that, that oh, we are headed towards a great Sabbath, a great eternal rest, where we won't just be sleeping forever and ever and ever more, but rather we'll be enjoying uh, the wonders of your creation, the wonders of your gift to us, the wonders of our God. We pray that uh, you would keep us trusting Christ, his words, it is finished. Trusting his works, not ours. And enable us, therefore, to rest on that day you've given us. To rest, to worship, to enjoy the gift. Know that it's a tiny taste of what is to come. Bless us, we pray. And give us a, a hunger and excitement for what is to come. And give us the certainty that we will arrive. Not because of anything in us whatsoever. But because of the incredible love and mercy you've shown in Jesus. And we ask, therefore, in his name. Amen.